This is Academes, a podcast about women in academia, living the dream, or are we? Hey, Sarah. Hey, Whitney. I'm excited because we're doing a Q&A episode. Woohoo. Who doesn't love a Q&A? I love a Q&A. I love an advice column. I love a Q&A. Me too. I, I just, I love it. And seeing the great questions that we have today made me even more excited. Yeah, me too. Um, Do you have any favorite advice columnists or? I mean, I used to listen to Dear Sugar a lot, um, podcast form. I love um, Slate's um um dear prudence i've listened to it in multiple incarnations i listened to the new york times social cues I, I i like i like a lot of advice do they have a podcast the social cues one i don't think they have a podcast uh, modern love did but i don't know um and then the ethicist like new york times does an ethicist thing too um yeah i would i would listen to your dan savages like mm-hmm. you know oh yeah yeah do you have any favorites um, I mean, I just remember as a kid, like, reading Dear Abby yeah. and Ann, the Ann Landers one and just being like, I love this. I, like, I love being in people's business in general. <laughs> and it's fun to talk them through and see how other yeah. people would answer. Like, sometimes I like doing that with friends and we um, will say, like, how would you answer this? And we also have, my friend Heidi and I have, like, a particular favorite Dear Prudence column that we refer oh. to sometimes. Maybe we'll put that in the show notes. It's outrageous. Okay. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> okay, good. I'm super excited. I love it. And I'm very judgmental, so. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Decisive is something that I I can wear proudly on my seat, sleeve yeah. as a characteristic. People don't want a wishy-washy advice giver for no. a, like, an advice segment. Okay. Let's unleash our advice on everybody. Let's do it. Okay, um, do you want to take the first one or should I? Do you have any favorites that you wanted to lead? Um, so this one is from Brie Reed. And um, the question is, I'd love your thoughts and advice about being an early career researcher right now, ABDs and postdocs. If our plans were to get a faculty position, is this even advisable now in post-COVID times? What are you recommending to your mentees? Longer postdocs? Other ideas? So, Sarah, what do you think? So, you know, it's interesting because I actually just had um, an advisee ask me about this just today, in fact. So she's not early. I mean, she is early career, but she's not post post. Well, she will be ABD soon. At any rate, she talked about kind of extending her timeline a little bit to avoid the job market, anticipating that it might not be great. And I was Mm -hmm. like, I actually think for our field, it's the supply is less than the demand. So I I actually don't think that you really need to worry about the job market, which is such a blessing. Um, But I, I and I also feel like I have not heard of a lot of grant funding or even contracts 
in in my particular field, like and I guess in biomedical in general, it seems like the funding is still flowing, knock on wood. Yeah. So you told your um, mentee to go onto the job market? Well, she's not ready. She's, I mean, yeah. she hasn't, she hasn't finished her dissertation, but I was like, you know, I think it's, you're thinking about this the right way. You're being strategic, but like, I yeah. wouldn't necessarily take my foot off the gas. So I think, I agree that I think this is very field specific. So I hear from colleagues in the humanities and some social sciences where there were already, there was already really stiff competition for jobs where maybe if there were normally 10 tenure track job openings in the whole country in a field, now there might be literally one or like zero. And so like it was already outrageous odds. And now, I mean, it's like a lottery. Um, and then on the other hand, like our field, like biomedical sciences and my field, epidemiology, like even in the context of university budget restrictions, you know, we've been told, you know, they're not planning to like cut epidemiology. Um, and my subfield of racial equity has some appealing job opportunities now. So at the beginning, for my students who were just graduating, I said, go into a postdoc, you'll have two years of protected time in a grant-funded position, and then I think you'll have a lot of opportunities. And I was more worried about people who are like postdocs ready to go on the market. But in my subfield, I actually think the market is like decent. So I would say it's very field-specific and that you really need to talk to people in different settings to figure out whether hiring is up or down to get a sense of like your specific opportunities. And if there's good jobs, I think you apply. Because I think the application process, writing out your materials, um, even that helps you clarify what you want. So, you know, you might as well apply. And then I think it's always good advice to explore non-academic jobs. Um, we have a lot of skills. I think grad school beats it into us that we don't have skills and that we only have a narrow band of skills when we actually have so many good skills. So many good skills. Very diversely applicable skills. Yeah. Yes. The professor is in is really great in this and they have a podcast and they had an episode recently where they talk about transferable skills and it was really good. They're like, have mm -hmm. you ever taught a class? Like you can do public speaking. Not everybody can do public speaking. Like you can like organize projects. Not everybody can Years organize projects. projects. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like you can do research. You can put together like data. You can synthesize things. So anyway, you are a smart person. You have options. Don't let the university make you think you have no options. <laughs> Go to university career services. Take some aptitude yeah, tests. Find out your yeah. skills. Make a resume, a one-page resume for non-academic jobs. And just put yourself back in control. You have options. Talk about transferable skills. Whitney, this is good advice. Yeah, Feeling empowered for our academes. Our academes are, like, strong and talented. Totally. So I, a couple of things struck me. One is um, um, about teaching focused people, people who want to go into teaching. One thing occurred to me is that like enrollment might be up just yeah. because people are trying to escape the economy in other sectors where yeah. jobs might not be as plentiful as in academia. So that could be a benefit. I don't know. One of the other things is that for clinical um, scholars, I do wonder, it's a question mark for me. I don't know enough, but I do know that like money's tight, yeah. um, in healthcare systems mm -hmm. in a way that they weren't before. So that might be a little sketchy, but I, I don't know for sure. Things to consider. Yeah. I think sometimes we can feel really scared because so much is uncertain, but to try to get really specific, because there's a lot of variability, I think. 
Um, one last thing I thought of is I, this is a Marla. Um, if you guys don't know who Marla is, um, we'll ask Miriam to put this in our show notes. Um, cause we've talked about Marla before, but she's all about like not putting in an application, an unsolicited yeah. application. I mean, there's a lot of disparities in who has access to contacts, but mm-hmm. I think even if you don't have a direct contact, you know, everybody is a few degrees of separation. If you can work that, it's worth just putting feelers out and asking people. That is great advice. Most of the job offers I have gotten have not been through formal applications. It's been through, like, giving a talk somewhere, letting people know I was looking. So that's a whole topic about job searching and sharpening those skills. Mm-hmm. We're good at this. Yeah. Academes, Q&A. Okay. <laughs> you want to read the next one? Yeah. Um, okay. So um, this person is Katie Grogan, who you might uh, you might recognize her name. She um, was interviewed many moons ago. And she says, I need advice on so many things. By the way, I don't think we mentioned the fact that we solicited these questions from, oh, yeah. from our Patreon patrons yes. um, as a benefit. And so these are people who are um, Patreon patrons. Thank you, patrons. Um, yes. One of the many benefits. Um, okay. So she says, right now I'm about to start a new job as a tenure track professor. Woo-hoo! Yay. Congratulations on the job. She says, I'm struggling with how to juggle. So there are multiple embedded questions. Yeah. I'm struggling with how to um, juggle starting up my research lab and projects with wrapping up quote unquote baggage projects for my current postdoc. And we can definitely speak to that. Um, and it, as an extension to this question, how does one deal with collaborators who do not respect that you also have many competing priorities and cannot drop everything to write a manuscript for them or do some data analysis? How do you push back against colleagues who assume that because you don't have a family, um, you can do extra work because you have lots of free time, obviously? Make it stop, Sarah. I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't. It's a reality. It's a sad reality. <sighs> what do you say? So for the first one, um, baggage projects, I totally empathize with this. And like some of the best decisions of my life have been dropping baggage projects. And it's really hard because you want to be conscientious. You want to keep good relationships. But also like life is too short. And often the other people are glad to have it dropped too. And so I think often one thing, if it's something you're leading to renegotiate to see if someone else wants to lead because your baggage could be somebody else's opportunity. So I like that as a strategy. Um, Uh Set a deadline. Like, okay, like I really want us to get together and like finish this up by X and kind of this is my timeline. And if, you know, if it doesn't work on this timeline, then I'm happy for somebody else to take the lead or I'm just going to put this aside. And this kind of gets into a discussion about boundaries. Like decide how much more energy you're willing to put into it and give it a try. And if it doesn't happen by a certain time, I just wouldn't let it linger, but I would let people know ahead of time, like, this is kind of the time I have to work on this and bring this to completion. Um, And I mean, sometimes I've had one project in particular that I dropped that really came back around and ended up being really good. Like, I was just beating my head against it for years and years, and it never went anywhere, and I kind of dropped it. But I was kind of presenting on a related topic, and somebody saw it, somebody senior And he's like, oh, I want to write on this topic. And he said, I want to write a paper and collaborate with me. And it ended up being like one of my most impactful papers. And it was not the original vision I had, but it it was close. A lot of the ideas were there. 
and it ended up getting out. And then it was easier to get other things going. So sometimes you have to make space to let something happen. So I believe in letting some things go. I I actually think that we have very consistent advice on this. And I don't, I don't think I necessarily, I have a couple of little, you know, additions I can make, but I just to kind of put a bow on what you were just saying, I think, you know, if, if there isn't, and sometimes even there is a report that you have to write to the funding agency or something like that, some like required thing, but it doesn't have to be the end all be all. And just because you submit that doesn't mean the whole thing is done. And I do think that there's a lot of benefit, like you're saying to things, just marinating and like waiting for the window of opportunity for it to like, you get the right collaborator, you get the right kind of like ebb in your own work mm-hmm. and you like the topic is salient and for whatever reason, the stars align and you you can do it. Um, and, and, and then to kind of pin down what I mean about, I do feel like there's an ebb and a flow to work and that sometimes it's just like, God, I cannot possibly add one more thing. Like I, and I feel tempted. I feel like it's a real dance to figure out if I say no to something or if I say not right now, yeah, or if I say like, I, I'm going to, if I, if, you know, if you're leaving your postdoc and you, you're starting a new position, is it, am I getting rid of this or if I'm putting this on hold or whatever? Mm-hmm. And you could also approach it as like, you have this, these hanging projects and maybe you talk to people and say, I want to prioritize them to decide like, what's the highest priority and at least try to have it not just be a mass hanging over you. And I do think that there's something to be said, but I remember there, I had a professor named Michelle Mayer and Mm -hmm. she, um, she gave me like the best advice. She said, it's okay to not finish something. It's okay to not finish something. That is good advice. And like, she didn't really qualify it other than like, you know, like sometimes it just doesn't happen and that's okay. There will be other stuff. Yeah. Somebody gave me that advice recently about a grant deadline I was pushing, and she she was just very kind to her. She's like, and if you don't submit this, it's okay. She said it to me twice. <laughs> and I was like, I'm trying to hear it, and I believe it, but I need, yeah. <laughs> Were you asking her for data or something? No, <laughs> she was like, well, you don't really have kind to. Of, yeah, like, you know, would you collaborate if I did this? And oh, she said yeah. yes, and she said she'd be supportive. She's like, but also you don't have to do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. There are so many good questions embedded in this one. So um, I would like to hear because you had I, I saw in the notes you had like some paragraphs about the no family equals extra work time. COVID has like <laughs> radicalized me. I'm like, people need to just stop. I'm so <laughs> Sarah, I could, I could go on about this. Anyway, I'm going to take a deep breath. And so I think the other questions that were embedded were about like people wanting you to drop things to attend to their projects, which, and then people assuming that like you have more time because you don't have a family. And so I think for both of these, like my answer is about boundaries. And so, you know, that's my year for my word for 2020 is boundaries. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, I remember that. Still working on it. And so the first thing is to decide what you will and won't do. Like you have to decide in yourself what your boundaries are. And sometimes that's the hardest part. Like you deciding like, what am I willing to do? Um, and Can then, I ask how you've done that? Like, have you gone through a conscious effort of being like, here's the line and how did you do it? 
Yeah. I mean, it, like, I listened to this whole podcast about boundaries. Like, this woman has this whole thing, and I read some books. And so now I try to take it situation by situation. Um, so I think there's kind of meta boundaries, like, how much am I willing to work? And, you know, a new opportunity. What am I willing to move aside or to give up if I take this new opportunity? Um, yeah. So I think it's kind of project specific. And then as things come, um, so I think, you know, in a specific instance, if somebody's like, oh, I need you to like finish this this weekend or whatever, like you can say, I I can't, oh, you know, I can't meet that timeline. You know, I could finish it by, you know, in two weeks. If I don't hear back from you, I'll assume that the timeline doesn't work for you and you found another way to, you know, move this forward. Um, so I don't know. I, I think it's hard. Um, usually I'd say not to try to justify it, like, especially with the family thing, like people being like, you don't have a family, you have time. I, I've never gotten that. And I like find it appalling. Um, cause like you have a life and <laughs> like, it's none of anybody's business necessarily. And then it might invite them to second guess your priorities or like argue with you about who has more time. But I think in COVID times, I actually have started to give more explanation, but not necessarily for my benefit, but for other people who might be more junior or vulnerable, like to remind people like, you know, there's a lot of people who have extra responsibilities around racial equity now or extra pressures around that or like doing more service or, you know, have kids at home. And so I don't offer that like necessarily to try to expect empathy from them. Because I think sometimes, like, I don't know, you can't control other people. But I say it to try to advocate for people who, like, are in my institution who are not tenured or who are students or who are postdocs to just remind <laughs> people who have forgotten about this. That, like, even if you don't have kids, maybe you have, like, family responsibilities or maybe you're doing more service in your community. Like, people just have <laughs> a lot of things going on. Um, and so I do think, like, there is genuine anxiety here. And so I don't want to shortchange that, like you know, it can be hard to push back against people. And so I would try to understand, like, where's the anxiety coming from? And what's the fear? If you like, say no, and disappoint people like and to really talk this through, because sometimes the fear is not realistic. And it's helpful to articulate that. But sometimes if you're in a place that has bad dynamics, the fear could be realistic, like people might retaliate against you. And so if that's the case, you might need another strategy, like enlisting a mentor or a sponsor to run interference for you. I, so, I mean, I'll just address the, the no family equals more time, time. Like I I just, I, it's really hard. And I know that that's something that is very, um, that people kind of carry around with them and maybe even don't say it, but it informs the way they interact with people. And, um, I guess it just, it, it makes me mad. You, you don't, you have no idea what somebody is going through. No idea. Like, there are so many invisible things on top of all the visible things. It's like, I'm just saying this in the vein of like, I have your full support in being pissed. Yeah. We're both pissed. (laughs) Yes. Um, It's unacceptable. We're two angry ladies in closets. Totally. Yes. We're going to like turn the table over onto its top. And then Um, we have to clean up all our clothes. Yeah. 
I, um, I also think that it's okay to call people out on their shit. I mean, you have to be careful, but yeah. I think it's, I think you can ask a question. I think it, it would be okay for you to be like, um, it, like, can you tell me why, like, what's your rationale in asking me? Just an innocent question. Like, maybe they'll say, I really think that you are the the best prepared to do this. And you could be like, great, here's when I can get this done by if you choose that that is something that you want to do. Or you can say, like, it's not within the scope, whatever. I'm getting into my, <laughs> getting into my thing. So yeah. my kind of response to this was a three-step process, but it didn't include what you said, which is the hardest part, which is figuring out where your boundaries are. And I think that is hard. Yeah. Um, and I think I'm working on it, but I don't, it, it's, um, yeah. I feel like it's shifting. Yeah. For people. But I do like your idea about maybe a question. Like sometimes you can enlist people Mm-hmm. into the problem solving so somebody wants you to do something and you could say oh like i really can't fit that in on this time frame like how do you think i should manage it or what do you what do you think i should prioritize if i want to help move this forward like sometimes you can turn it and get them into problem solving mode um mm-hmm. and maybe come up with another solution that you know depending on your relationship with the person and that person's yeah. kind of openness that's an important caveat is like feeling out the situation and whatever. But I do think it's important to be clear with people. And I, I, in a meeting today, I actually recognized, um, so I'm in a role that has me consulting on a lot of projects at like a 10,000 foot view. That's cool. And it's great. I'm actually really enjoying it. Um, the problem is, is that I, so my boundary and I've been very clear that my boundary is I don't have the bandwidth to get involved in these projects unless I say ahead of time, like I, (laughs) this is something that is, I want to participate in. But sometimes I'm like in the context of the consultation and I'm like, I can't help being like, and then we're going to blah, 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 blah. And then I mess it up. Yeah. (laughs) So, but I do think it's important to be like, I don't have the bandwidth to do this. Here's what I do have the bandwidth to do. And then, um, so educate was my first step. What was my second step? Um, like (laughs) actually I was just talking to Jane about this in terms of like friends, Mm -hmm. um, being increasingly clear. Like if people respond to your assertions, yeah initially, then you don't have to be any more firm. But if people are like pushing back or testing your boundaries, it's okay to be like increasingly firm as you. And that means having difficult conversations sometimes with people who are more senior with you. Like I am, that is something I can say. I'm really, I don't know if I'm good at it, but I'm definitely very willing to be like, hi, we have a problem yeah. <laughs> and let me tell you what's going on from my perspective and you let me know what's going on from your perspective. And if we can, if we can figure out how to move together forward, great. Otherwise, that's something done. I really admire and respect about you. Like you are willing to like get in there. Um, <laughs> and so that's like next level. It's like next level stuff. <laughs> I, I'm so glad that you appreciate that. That's yeah. been uh, you know, not not everyone appreciates that. <laughs> That's why it's next level. <laughs> but I, um, anyway, I'm losing my train of thought. You had a third point. 
No, it was just ditch them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes you can let people go, but that's a, it's a delicate dance, early career. Well, if but, somebody yeah. is compromising, if somebody is willfully ignoring your feedback and you say, like, here's my boundary, and they're like, oh, what have you did? Uh, over and over again and is, like, being super dense. Yeah, it's probably not going to get better. So, yeah. Save yourself. Another thing I thought about with the family thing as I think some people are recognizing, okay, like there are people who have a lot of family commitments in the pandemic and no school, and we need to make more allowances for them. But if that just spills over to put more work on other people, that's not Mm-mm. good. Like it's this zero sum game. And what we really need to be moving towards is reevaluating like the burdens we're putting on everybody. So I just wanted to say that there is a model where you can acknowledge there are people under tremendous like situational stresses with care for you know children and family members and we should be attentive to that and recognize that and accommodate that but we should not do it at the expense of then just trying to keep the same amount of work and shifting it on to other people that's not the right solution we need to like radically rethink how we operate in our expectations but that's another topic And if you're interested in hearing more about that topic, you can listen to the Clara Lee interview because she had such wonderful thoughts about like, oh, this is a a systemic issue and and it is a university's role to help moderate the effects on women in particular. Um, Because I don't think they're like putting extra work on single men or (laughs) men without kids. Like... Our single men callers, our single men listeners, like, please send us us your emails. Let us know. Yeah. (laughs) Or don't. (laughs) Or do. No, we love you. We love you. We want to hear from you. What do you think of this episode? Tell us about your experience as an academe. You can reach us on Twitter at academespodcast, by email at academespodcast at gmail.com, or please leave us a voicemail at 919 Six 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 seven three zero one. And if you like what you hear, rate us on your favorite podcast app. It'll help people find us. Um. All right. Okay. We're on to Jennifer Mandelbaum. Yeah. And she says, "Hi, Academes team. Thanks for doing this. I'm curious if." Given the state of the world, academia right now, you'd still agree with your original answers too. Is academia a dream, a game, or a scam? Has it changed at all? I feel like I'm only seeing doom and gloom headlines about academia. But as a student, it's tough for me to gauge what it's like for faculty. Thank you. So if you remember, I I love how Ruth Pierce, who's like the hippest of the hip, was like, (laughs) the academic answer would be all three, which is my answer. (laughs) But, But for me, there hasn't been necessarily a change like i'm employed i'm gainfully employed and that's huge right now that's a dream yeah um and i in the context of a looming pandemic i guess it was a little bit before everything hit but like I'm play. I played the game, and it. I definitely had the game has been revealed to me in major ways. Just navigating, like, figuring out how to get what I want, um, in uh within 
the scope of the rules Mm -hmm. um and figuring out like what information i need to get what i want um but like i don't know i've seen some very scammy stuff (laughs) in the past year on so many levels and I could, I don't, I, you know, I don't want to go into all of the different ways. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll restrain myself. But like I said earlier about, um, you know, like trying to find a position through your network, like mm-hmm. networks are incredibly important and people have differential access to those networks. That's one example of how it's a total scam. And there are lots of examples. What do you think? I think my original answer was probably game. That it's just mm-hmm. like, I think it's it just was. a game. You got to know the rules and just try to like do the best you can within it to take care of yourself and do things that you feel ethically good about. And I think I'm less comfortable with the game aspect now. Um, you know, I'm an epidemiologist. And so I'm really face to face with the huge inequities in our system around just COVID and just the value of, you know, the lives of Central American migrants and Black people and old people and all this rhetoric around like COVID only hurts people who are old or have pre-existing conditions. And I'm like, what is this? Like, okay, everybody with asthma or diabetes or a heart condition or who's <laughs> ever had cancer or like anybody who's ever been sick, like your life is dispensable. I, mm. I just... um the stakes seem higher for me and the work seems more important. And so in a way that's a vote for dream because I do feel this like urgency around what I'm doing now. And that also is very stressful and anxiety producing. So I'd say it's a dream because a lot of those things that we do as academics are important. Um, You know, even thinking about just so many aspects of life right now feel tenuous, the political system, the financial systems, educational systems, um, like I just feel a sense of urgency for so many people who do so many different kinds of work. Um, But I'd say it's a tattered dream. It's an aspirational, hard-fought dream. And I think it is field-specific, and it's rank and privilege-specific. So, you know, people who say that it's a scam, you know, if they're, like, a tenured person, I don't see them, like, giving up their jobs. So it's not, like, all that bad for them. So, like, you know, don't cry for me. Um, But people are stressed. People are you know, stretched and it's a system with a lot of inequity in it. And so depending on where you are in that system, it can just be a total scam where people are exploiting you for your work and then dropping you when times get tough. Um, But for people like me with relative security and doing work that I think is important, there's still a dream aspect about it, but maybe it's like a fever dream or a little bit of like (laughs) a nightmare. Oh my God. It's but like, like the opposite of a dream. The opposite of a dream, but it's like, it's vivid. And, you know, I don't think a nightmare is the opposite of a dream. No, no, no. I think, no, I hear what you're saying. Like, it, the when you said it's vivid, that me, I'm like, yes, it yeah. is. Like, you know, I'm not just like, it's, 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 it's vital. It's energizing. Um, but it, it's stressful. Um, but also like non-academic jobs can seem very attractive. I know people who've recently left academia for non-academic jobs. And when I talk to a lot of people who've left academia and made successful transitions to non-academic jobs, they are very happy. 
they are like very happy because academic jobs are kind of a scam in that you're expected to do so many disparate things like teaching, research, administration. These are different skill sets. And in a way, people who manage to be good at them, it's like, oh, it just demonstrates your breadth. But also in a normal job, you would just focus on the thing you do well. And there's something to be said for that. So, yeah. I mean, I think I, I, so first of all, it sounds like what you're saying in terms of your, your, like the change in your answer is that like the stakes just really increased and everything just kind of came into vibrant, vibrant color for you. Like, oh, this is, you know, maybe this is a game, but like, uh, it's really important that I play it and, you know, get the results that I want. Is that kind of... Yeah, like, it's not just a game. Because I think the game, when I said that, I was like, you know, it's a job, whatever. Mm, yeah, you yeah, just yeah. have to, like, you know, get the most out of it, um, but not take it too seriously. And I mm-hmm. think I'm backing away from the game aspect because I'm like, this isn't just a game, you know? Like, the mm-hmm. fact that this system has all these weird rules is and is inequitable and there's, like, inefficiencies that block the work like that's bad but also Mm -hmm. the opportunity to do work that's really important because you know there's not like a huge industry for public health you know like a lot of that is in the not-for-profit sector and depends on government grants and academic stuff like that's kind of a dream to be able to do that kind of work I mean, I feel like fundamental to Jennifer's question is like, she's like kind of peeking around the corner, like, what's it going to be like? What would it be like? And, you know, I think it it totally depends on what kind of university you go to. I mean, having just switched from a large public institution, state institution, um, going to um, a private one that is smaller it's a different environment. It's not, it does. And I'm relatively new there, but it doesn't feel quite as political and it doesn't feel quite as like charged. Um, and everything feels a little bit more manageable. Um, so, I mean, I think, I think be choosy and, and, you know, do your homework and figuring out what the environment is like. And, um, yeah, I would say you and I are doing okay. But a lot of people aren't necessarily doing okay. I don't know. <laughs> and maybe she's like, how are you guys? How are faculty? <laughs> right. And I mean, I'm in thinking about my friends whose inner lives I know, like, um, compared to the people who are not in academia who I know, quite honestly, they seem a little bit better because it's just a little bit more stable than other industries right now yeah but that could just be the people i know who are in you know it just the the people who i happen to know yeah so maybe that answers the question let us know let us know um so um allison had a few questions and i think there are a couple that might even lend themselves to full episodes (laughs) maybe we can touch on them a little bit one is about saying no and maintaining boundaries we definitely talked about that in response um to katie's question in some respect but i do think we could delve a lot deeper in a full episode 
The second question is about how to mentor Mm -hmm. junior people and how do you balance that mentoring students while you're starting up your own career. So we, we, um, you know, had that episode on, um, mentoring, Mm -hmm. but I do, I think there's, there's even more, so we could probably do a journal club, but the one that I thought that we could probably address in the context of this episode, um, is what are the considerations of um, hard versus soft money? Okay, go for it, Sarah. So this is my interpretation, and I would be very curious if this is yours, Whitney. But in my mind, basically, there's there's no free lunch. A hard money position is basically you're teaching a full load. Um, and one way or another, they're going to get, you know, like 40 plus hours out of you. Um, and any, and, and, you know, the pros of that is that you're not on the hook for raising your own salary. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, the, the downside of that is like, if you want to do research, that's really like on your own time. Um, and that's hard to do if you're teaching, you know, a full load. Um, soft is like a hundred percent soft money is basically, you know, quote unquote, you eat what you kill, mm-hmm. um, which I can tell you is very stressful. Um, especially as an early career person, I think it probably gets, I, I would imagine, but I don't know for sure that it gets slightly easier as you get better at it as you're in it for longer. Um, but the benefit is that, like, the world is your oyster. You can kind of, you know, decide what you do and you don't want to do. Um, I think the important thing is that this is not really a dichotomous variable. Yeah. Um, there are positions where, like, you teach one class per semester or one class per year or whatever, and the rest is um, soft money. Um, there are models where you're expected to bring in the majority of your funding, but there's wiggle room Yeah. or you can apply for like internal funds to bridge the gap between your external funding and your, you know, your full salary. I also think there's non-faculty positions. Like there's people who work in mm-hmm. research support in centers who might have a position where, like it's soft money, but really the center is raising their money. And, you know, it might be kind of fixed term, but they know that they don't themselves have to write the grants and eat yeah. what you kill, but like they're providing service to people. So I think there's also like a lot of research staff jobs and maybe research, like teaching, advising jobs um, that might be kind of hard money, um, but not necessarily just about um uh, focused on teaching, but still, like if you're doing service to a research institute, you still have to carve out time for your own research unless it really just happens to fit right into um, what you're doing for other people. And I also think there's a range of hard to soft money. Like I know colleagues at University of Washington and Hopkins. I think in my world, I think of those as like the softest of soft money. Mm. Where, like, you're expected to bring in 95% of your salary and you have, like, 5% that's supposed to be all your service and teaching. You're like, okay. If I'm mischaracterizing your institutions, let me know. (laughs) Um, 
And then there's jobs like where the salary expectations, maybe you need to bring in 50% or 60%. Also, these can change over time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think getting a sense of the range of expectations and the range of teaching balanced another service balanced against how much money you're expected to bring in. Like there is some variation out there and there are some places that might be like sweet spots for you. So I would try to get a sense of the range um, so that you can spot a place that might have a balance that's like a little bit better for you. And maybe you want to do mostly teaching and then like there's jobs you can look at there, but there's jobs where maybe you only have to bring in 50% of your salary um, and only teach one class. Like there's some kind of hidden gems out there sometimes if you know mm -hmm. what counts as a good deal for you. Yeah. And a lot of it also just depends on your colleagues. You can be in a soft money place, but in a really good, like, collegial network, and it's not hard. Yes. Oh, my God. That is such a good point. Yeah. There are so many moderators of the kind of relationship between the softness of the money and the stress. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know somebody also who's in a pretty much a hard money position, but she wants to do more research and she's felt kind of isolated and it's been very stressful for her because you, there's still some pressure to get money to do your work. And when you're isolated, even if it's not putting your salary on the line, it can still be very stressful. I, yeah, I just actually spoke with a, a, a colleague who, um, was in the exact same position where she was like, I, I, I want to do the work and I can't, she, there just weren't many people around for her to kind of squeeze the creative juices with, which does sound stressful. It sounds very stressful actually. But I don't know. I've only been, I haven't been at a real range of places. Soft money scares some people. But again, some of it, a lot of it depends on the specific microenvironment in which you'll be expected to raise funds and who you can collaborate with. I I think that is such an important point is just that it's not, a, not only is it not a dichotomous variable, but there are so many moderators um, that are critical um, and that you can't just be like, good, bad. It's, there's, <laughs> yeah. Um, Sarah, I feel like we've been giving out some good advice do you think we've given academics a lot of clarity i mean that was fun i feel like i could this is this is like a in general i like uh you know even when it's like a mentee or something like that um yeah it's good i like it should we should we like give some highlights of some some things that we've come up with that we think are kind of sure. general takeaways yeah angry ladies in closets <laughs> i know we've talked about boundaries yes boundaries definitely um working your network to the extent possible to kind of figure out what's what in your field and it is field specific with respect to the job market i think in the current uncertain times like to keep your eyes open to the fact that mm -hmm. there are really unique pressures on a lot of industries, including academia right now, but also to get specific information about your context, because there's so much diversity in how people's jobs and work environments are being affected. And so I think it's important not to feel overtaken by a general sense that 
there are no opportunities um, and to really try to get some detailed information about what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, I think, you know, part, part of what you're saying to me, at least I can interpret as not all of the rules have gone out the window or like the principles have gone out the window because of COVID. It's not like, I mean, things are obviously different. The, the, the ground has shifted beneath us, but there, you know, there's, it, you still kind of have to look closely within yourself to know what you want and outside and do a scan and like what's possible. And there was a theme about like academia versus other industries. And uh, I, there was an episode of um, shiny epi people mm-hmm. that had a woman who worked in like a public health kind of, I can't remember. But and then there was another woman who had her own business. Yeah, and... those are both. I, those are both people who are trained in epidemiology. One works in like kind of government research and data. Teresa Chapel, mm-hmm. um, and the other one was a Canadian social epidemiologist who started her own like software consulting data analytics company. That's a dream. I mean, I'm sure it's super duper hard, but like, I don't know. She, she sounds like she has happy. great work life. Now she also lives in Canada, so I don't know. That's Canada. a big confounder. Um, But I think also uh, one of our themes was like, you are rock stars, you are goddesses, um, you have skills. You have skills. (laughs) So many. Do not let people tell you you don't have skills. Yep. Yeah. Go and rock it, academes. We really appreciate you. It's a tough time. Thank you. Yep, keep the questions coming. We appreciate them. Yeah. Okay. All right. Bye. Academes was produced by Mara Bookbinder, Whitney Robinson, and me, Sarah Birkin. Miriam Ock edits and provides administrative support for the podcast. Our artwork is by Melissa Hudgens at Leafy Greens Design, and we receive funding from listeners like you. If you'd like to donate to help with the podcast's ongoing operations, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash academiespodcast. Thanks! <laughs>